0: I'd like you to find your copy of God's Word and make your way to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, I'm glad to be back in it. Um, So appreciated, Pastor Jay's exposition of the previous section. Um, I'm not just saying I thought he did a great job, and I know it ministered to me. And uh, even this week, I was thinking about some of the things that were said there, looking back in my notes, and it ministered to me all over again. Which, speaking of, I want to make sure everyone's got an outline today. Those are in the back. If you don't have one, they're in the back on that little desk back there. Be sure and grab one. Um, Are you in Philippians? Say amen. amen. All right. Do something a little bit different today. I'd like you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read this text together. Then you can be seated. I'll read it out loud, but you follow along with me. Here's what the Word of God says. Philippians 2.19 But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you, you know His proven character. That as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. This is God's word, and may he apply it to our hearts today. Father, we come to you in the name of our King, your Son, Jesus the Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word in Philippians today, specifically in this text of chapter 2. We ask that you apply it to our hearts, that our hearts would be hearts of good soil, ready for that seed to germinate and multiply and bear fruit for you. May you please do what only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. By the way, it made me smile over here a minute ago to hear not just one, but several little kids' voices. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. Ivan O. Miller said this, Humility is such a real and delicate thing that he who dared to think that he has it proves by that single thought that he has it not. Amen, church? So the the theme of Philippians is what? What's the theme of Philippians? Starts with a J. Joy, right? The theme of Philippians is joy, and the word rejoicing pops in there a lot, even in our text here. So joy and rejoicing, and yet in chapter 2, which is where we've been spending our time recently, um, it had, we discover one of the clearest definitions and examples, four of them, of humility found anywhere in the Scriptures. So what's the theme, church? Joy. Joy. What's chapter 2 about? Humility. Right? And That seems weird. Um, We in our enlightened and evolved 21st century society cannot for the life of us see any connection between joy and humility. Um, Truth be told, we're all for humility, as long as it's in other people. Isn't that the truth? That thought hit me as I was preparing. Me personally, I was thinking about me. I'm all for Elizabeth being humble. I think she should be humble, and that's good for the family. I'm all for my children being humble. Joy, and it's a little thing I learned in Sunday school from Grace Majeska. Remember her, Mama? She was my kindergarten. Kindergarten Sunday school teacher. So don't think that what we do with these kids isn't important. Here I am, 55 years old, and I remember back when I was four or five years old, Miss Grace, elderly saint in a church, taught us this how to spell joy. How do you spell joy? J O Y, and here's how it works J stands for what? Jesus. Jesus first. What is O? Uh, uh, Other people. What is Y? Yourself. You or yourself. Jesus, others, you. If you get that out of order in any way, it is a recipe for misery. You want to be miserable, there's your recipe. Put yourself first, put other people first. Make Jesus a distant second or third, and you'll be miserable. An old sage once said, "'He who learns not humility will soon learn humiliation.'" So here's what I want to say about humility and joy. And let's see if you can make this connection today. Humility is both the byproduct and the fuel for joy. That's just my grandson. He's good. He's he's excited about that definition right there. Humility is both the byproduct and the fuel for joy. So it's a cyclical symbiotic relationship. So we're going to see this joy today as we look at Paul and Timothy as examples of what joy-birthed humility and humility-fueled joy actually looks like and how it empowers you to both be and to stay free. So let's get right into our outline this morning. So first, I want to draw your attention to Paul's slavitude in verses 19 and 24. I texted my daughter-in-law, Courtney, yesterday. We were dealing with getting ready for some worship stuff, and I said, oh, by the way, I invented a new word for the sermon tomorrow, and I told her what it was, and she said, that seems like a very pastor thing to do. (laughs) So I did. I invented this new word called slavitude, because if we go back in chapter 2, we hear these words, let this... Mind being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that? That word "mind" is actually can be translated in some newer translations. It is as attitude. But what's the what's the next verse say? Uh, you know, he, he, although he was uh, equal with God, thought or not Robert to be equal with God. He t- made himself of no reputation, but he humbled himself and took the form of. It's a cleaned up word for us. Bond servant. You just write in there slave was found in the likeness of men. So what is the attitude of a slave? It's called a slavitude. And I want you to see Paul's slavitude, his attitude as a slave of King Jesus. And where, I, where I'm picking this up, if you've got your Bibles open, look, look right there, and I'm, I'm trying to find where it is. Verse 19, But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. And then jump down to verse 24. The end of this little section, same exact phrase, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. Why does Paul include this strange phrase as he is giving out, giving them a heads up, the little church in Philippi, of the travel plans of two guys, Paul and Epaphras? We'll deal with Epaphras next week. Why does he use this word? I trust in the Lord to send Timothy. And then he wraps it up by after he commends Timothy. He says again, I trust in the Lord that I'm going to be coming shortly. What does that mean? Well, I see three things there and I just want to share. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but the first thing I see is a humble submission that Paul had through this slaveitude, this attitude of a slave to the master's will. See, slaves have masters. And I know that's an offensive term slave, and master, right? Because we have a bad history with that, sinful history. But in the Scriptures, it's not all bad. Slavery was part of their economy. Matter of fact, this is a room full of slaves in here. A matter of fact, there's very few people, I think my mom might be one, who could stand up and say they are not a slave to the bank for their house. If you have debt, you're a slave. In a sense. So we do have a modern version of it. So Paul's humble submission to the master's will. And we see over Timothy's travel plans. I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. And then over his own fate. You see, his travel plans were more than just plans. It was over his whole fate. It would either be his release, his further imprisonment, or his execution. But what is he saying here? I got all these plans, but they're written in pencil because I'm not in charge of me. I'm not in charge of Timothy. Who's in charge, church? The master, King Jesus, is in charge. Are you with me? The Lord. So he submitted to the will of God. James 4, just jot this down. James 4, 13 to 16. There's no time to get into it. I, I urge you to go read it later. But, but that's where James says, Hey, you people who are saying, I'm going to go to this city and do, and do this work and make, make money for a year. Who do you think you are? What you ought to say is, Lord willing. If the Lord wills, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. So, so this, I want you to see right off, the, right off the bat, we just learned about Jesus taking on the, the, the attitude of a slave. And now, notice, don't miss it, here's Paul, Jesus' top guy. And what is his attitude? The attitude of a what church? It's a slavitude. He say, hey, I'm, che- here's what I'm planning to do. as long as the master says that's good, that's what we're doing." The next thing I want you to see is there's a humble submission to the act for active obedience. Active obedience. Paul didn't stop his obedient service because he was incarcerated. Nope. He figured he was still on a job because he was still owned by Christ. And so while he was in chains, he was declaring the gospel and sharing it with every centurion that was chained to him. What was the result of that? He tells us that Caesar's household is getting evangelized while he's in jail. While he's in prison, he writes half of the New Testament. And so it's obedience served, active obedience through this humble submission. And I'm sure that while he was there, we see with him and Silas that he prayed and worshipped and sang. Paul's environment did not affect his obedience. You and I have no right to use our environment, our circumstances, as an excuse to disobey. Our master, our owner. Jesus himself became a slave to obedience. We see that in Philippians 2, 7 and 8. And uh, let me read that to you real quickly. Here's what it says. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond slave and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You can't get any lower than that, to hang naked on a cross, your muscles and skin hanging in ribbons, your, your internal organs barely being kept from falling out. And he, his, obe- his act of obedience was all the way to the cross. And brothers and sisters, we are called to adopt this same slavitude that King Jesus willingly and obediently adopted. And, and that the d- d- direction of this attitude of this slavitude is upward to God as a master to be totally obeyed. And then it's outward to people via the gospel, to serve others. All right, C, letter C. This humble service is to and for others. And we see that here with Paul. At Jesus' example, as I just read in chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul's slavitude shows up and out in his self-forgetful love, regard, and esteem for these Philippian saints. And I use that word on, on purpose. I think it's so important. Humility is self-forgetfulness. C.S. Lewis said, uh, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? It's not putting yourself down. It's just having such a focus on the Lord and on others and on your, your service as the slave of Christ to other people that, that you and thoughts of you are not in the forefront of your mind. How many of us can say that's true of us today? Um, in this book here is one of my study books that I very much benefited from in, in my preparation, loaned to me by a Presbyterian pastor, brother, friend of mine, it's called The Message of Philippians by J.A. Motyer. Here's what he says in here. I came across this this week. He said, Paul, shows, or Paul saw the Philippians as worthy of his best. Listen to this. So he sent Timothy. Isn't that beautiful? Timothy was the best he could send. The words were easily written, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you, but they were costly to put into effect. Ooh, did you hear that? easily written, I hope soon to send Timothy to you, costly to put into effect. So now we turn from this often overlooked portrait of Paul. So we see there's a portrait of Paul just in those two phrases to the compelling portrait of young Timothy. And the clarity of his slavitude is clearly and easily seen as he is commended by Paul. So first we're going to see that see Paul's commendation of Timothy. So look me in Roman numeral number two. We see Timothy's pastoral uniqueness. What does Paul say there in, in chapter two and in verse 20 as he's telling him, I'm going to send Timothy to you soon. Then he goes on to say this. He says, for I have, n- how many people? No one like-minded who will sincerely care for for your state. What is he saying about Timothy here? Timothy's one of a kind. And he's got a pastor's heart. You see that? Literally the word there letter A is in the Greek's an interesting word and it's only used one time in the scripture and it's right here. And it's this. He is like souls. We have matching souls. Timothy is the closest thing to me that I can send you. If I can't come, the best thing I can do is send someone who is just like me. It's Timothy. And who was Paul just like? The master. You see it? And Paul would say that later in chapter 3 in Philippians. We'll get there. You follow me as I follow Christ. Because I'm following Christ so closely that if you're following me, who are you following? You're following Christ. So they are like soul. They got the same heart. Their heart beat for ministry. And then this next phrase is interesting, who, who, will, who will genuinely or sincerely care for your soul, or for your state, for your well-being. That's an interesting term in the Greek too. Um, it, 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 some translations translate this naturally anxious for your state. The Greek word there is meromnao, and it's used 20 times in the Bible, mostly in the New Testament. And 19 of those uses of anxious are negative. Remember when Jesus, when Martha came to Jesus complaining that Mary's not helping? He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things. Right? That's that word, merimnao. When Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer um, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's that word anxious, not be anxious. for. Don't be anxious. And yet here is the only time this word is used with a positive connotation. He's saying, let me tell you how like-souled Timothy is. He is going to be naturally anxious for your care, for your well-being, for your obedience to King Jesus. And that word naturally... Um, has the idea of legitimacy. And I'm going to use this term because it's an accurate term, and I hope I'm not stepping over a line, but what it's saying literally in my Greek uh, 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 dictionary, they have what they call an antonymic definition. Sometimes it's easier to understand something, get a clearer definition, by saying what it's not and then telling you what it is. Literally what it says in my Greek uh, antonymic definition is not a bastard. Not an illegitimate child, son, but rather this word naturally, authentic, genuinely, that word genuine, the real thing, a son of the father who has all the rights of the family name and power. What is he saying? Timothy comes by this pastoral anxiety for your obedience naturally. Not from his Fallen nature, no, that nature died on a cross with Jesus. Timothy's a legitimate Christ follower. His heart's been changed, and it naturally beats for the health of the body of Christ. Are you all following that? What was going on? What's the only problem we know from this letter in that church? Everything's great. He loves these people. There's partners in the gospel from the first day till now. But there's a problem. Two ladies are button heads. Udia and Syntyche. They can't get it together. And Paul's saying, hey, I can't be there, but I'm sending Timothy. He's going to take care of this. And you better trust him because what he's going to, he's going to shepherd you into doing is from a natural heart of the master, our slave owner, King Jesus. And you, you can have no fear to obey him. Jeremiah, dotted down, 315. Here's what the scripture says. And I will give you pastors after my own heart, which will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Timothy was a pastor after the master's own heart you know what that verse tells me? Reveals the heart of our master. He wants to teach us who he is so we can know who we are and give us an understanding that allows us to go low and not high. To be truly humble, the form of a slave. Have that slavitude and be infused with joy. You can be in prison Be overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord as our strength. Wow. Let's look at Paul's contrast in verse 21. (laughs) It'd be great if it just stopped there. But Paul just builds Timothy up. Says, man, he's my guy, he's my heart. You trust this guy. And whatever he comes to you and instructs you to do, you better do it. Because he's a shepherd, he's a pastor. He's naturally born again anxious for your flourishing, which means a lot of repentance. But then he says, unfortunately, not everybody's that way. It's the weirdest verse, but it's so raw and honest. Look at verse 21. I got to get a bigger print Bible. Um, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So here's the contrast. Look at Timothy. Like, he's a slave like me, he's, he's got my heart, he's willing to serve, 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 King Jesus, no problem. Everybody else, not so much. Who is the all? I think Paul is making a, a sweeping generalization here. I'm not saying everybody, because the next guy we're going to talk about next week is Epaphroditus. He didn't include Epaphroditus in that. So he's making a generalization, but he's saying, compared to Timothy, and the, and the sad fact of the matter is, even in the first century, there were people who loved to have a little bit of Jesus and a lot of them left. Amen, church? Say amen or ouch. Take a little bit of Jesus, just as long as my rear end stays on that throne and I'm calling the shots. Stop me when I'm lying. And Paul says, they all are like that, but not Timothy. So uh, I better go back to my notes or I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, it says in there, they all seek their own is the first phrase. And I wrote next to that, self-focused instead of self-forgetful. I love that Quick definition of humility. Self-forgetful. When's the last time you were so caught up in the worship of God by serving somebody that you forgot about you? That's what he's talking about. And we can reach that. That is the natural normal for God's redeemed, regenerate, born-again sons and daughters. And then he goes on to the negative, And they do not seek the things of King Jesus. They're all about themselves, and they're not about the master. Any of you that have ever been in business management, Sandy Bagnar, you run a museum, you know? I, maybe I shouldn't say this because it'll happen, I don't know. But if you run a museum, Dale's your employee, is he not? Dale works for you. Aubrey does too, but it's a different relationship, but I, I digress. <laughs> you know, and, if, and, if, and if, you know, there's stuff that he's got to get done that you need him to do. And if, he goes, if you go in there, and he's like, yeah, I didn't get any of that stuff done, but boy, did I have a good time reading this book today. Eventually, he's going to get fired, and rightly so. We belong to King, King Jesus as the boss. He's the master. He tells us what to do. We need to be more interested in the things of Jesus' interests than our own. And here's the beauty of that. The more you're interested in what interests Jesus, the more interesting it will become to you. Right? And we need to push in to the hard stuff until that becomes a reality and we end up like Paul and Timothy. Matthew 6.33, you know it. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek what, what order? First, the kingdom of God. That's where Jesus rules and reigns as master. And His righteousness, His way of doing things, His rules. And then all these things. See, each one seeks their own things. All these things will be added to you, but look at they're not a part of you. You know what the biggest curse on the church is today? I can only talk about Christians right now. Is that we look at the stuff that we got and even the relationships that we have, and we've let them become our identity, who we are. That verse is so clear when it says these things will be added. They can be added, they can be taken away, but nothing changes the core identity of who you are. We are naturally born sons and daughters of the king. Wow! Luke 9, 23 to 24. Just jot these references down. Then he said to them, if anyone, that's you, me, anybody, if anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, let him indulge himself. No, deny himself. What's that mean? It's very simple. Even Jack can understand it. Say no to your feelings and desires. Had that conversation with Jack last night, and I'm very proud of him. He found a... Strength inside to say no to what he was feeling, and to have some obedience. And it was a, I was celebrated with him this morning as a result of that. Deny yourself, come after me, take up your cross—that's an instrument of death, by the way—and follow me. Next verse, twenty-four says this: For because whoever desires to save his life is going to what church lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find. Uh, for my sake will save it. Here's what I'm thinking about that. I know, and I know that cross, that's an instrument of death and all that. Um, whoever loses his life, is, is Jesus talking about death there? I'm not sure he is. That word life also can be translated soul or heart. Can, can you think about it this way? He who loses the authority and lays down his life as a slave, and said, you know what? I've messed this thing up. You're you're going to be better at it than I am. I'm going to give this life to you. It's not mine anymore. I'm I'm giving all my passwords to you, Jesus. And whatever you instruct me to do, that's when I'm, I'm just doing what you tell me to do. Whoever loses his life over to the king, finds it. Tertullian was an early church father, and he said this, he who lives to benefit himself confers on the world a benefit when he dies. You know, say amen or out to that. People that live for themselves, they bless the world when they kick it. That's a modern-day version of what you, you, Tertullian said. So here's the reality. Let me get, let me get to this. this. This was pretty cool this week when I, when I found this. I, I, I just laughed out loud, and then I cried. Uh, here, here it is. You're either living in and out of Philippians 1.21 or 2.21. Philippians 1.21 says this. For me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Or for each, seek their own things and not the things of Christ. 2.21 so I put up there, you're either a 121 saint or a 221 ain't. Now, I want to be careful with that. I think when Paul said, all seek their own, he was talking about saints, believers, right? But, but what kind of believer? Here's a reality. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. What is he saying? It's all about King Jesus. It's all about King Jesus. If I'm alive, I am here to do the will of King Jesus. That's my slavitude. What's the slave's attitude? I don't belong to me. I literally belong to somebody else. And because we don't understand that, we can't. We're not wrapping our minds around it. And we must. What's two twenty one say? All seek their own, not the things which are King Jesus. That's all about me, meism, the unholy Trinity of me, myself, and I. So in one twenty one, this is in your outline. One twenty one describes servant saints. All right saints who are servants at the core identity slaves 221 describes saints that serve so i want you to ponder this for a quick second with me what's the difference between a servant and serving huh action serving is an action what is servant Who you are, we call that identity, don't we? So, 221 people are in here's the problem with being a 221 Christian you are the one in control of who you serve, when you serve, how much you serve, and how often you serve, and the level of joy you have while you are serving. Had a waitress recently, very unhappy to serve me. I'm talking like she had a major attitude. I see some head shaking. You must have had the same waitress. Okay, it was my wife. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. kidding. That's a joke, baby. (laughs) That's a joke. Uh, You ever had that happen? Right? You want to leave a garbage tip or no tip. But I didn't. I actually left her a pretty good tip because I felt bad for her. But that's how we are. When we're serving, doing acts of service, we're in control. Me. I'm still number one. I'm reading, doing some reading right now, some research on on the human brain. And one of the things that shocked me as I read this book is is this secular, non-Christian, uh, counsel, addictions counselors literally has people. One of the one of the prescriptions she gives to people is to go home and do acts of kindness. Not because they're virtuous in and of themselves, but you do those acts of kindness because they make you feel good about yourself. And it's literally a therapeutic technique. That's disgusting to me as a believer and as a slave of my king. Whatever happened to virtue because virtue is good? We've we've lost that. I do it because it's virtuous, because it's good, for the sake of itself, regardless of anything. That comes back or doesn't come back to me. So, this idea of being a servant versus serving servants are our identity. Uh, 121 people have a slavitude that sees King Jesus as our master. I'm gonna keep pounding that today. And our mission is to serve him in self forgetfulness. Jesus, King Jesus, owns me, I am his property. And my mission is to serve him in self-forgetfulness. I think I need to write that on a three-by-five card and put it on my mirror and in my truck visor. I need to have that before my eyes until it's a reality. Pastor Andy Dick, now retired, faithful servant of the Lord in northern Canada, a shepherd pastor for years and years never forget he said this in a sermon it just, the whole sermon just slew me but he said this everyone wants to be a servant until you're treated like one you know Jim Williams was always fond of taking me to I should have looked the text up in Matthew where it says you know if the servant comes in and you know, he does all the work for the master and, 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 and you know, gets his dinner and stands there and waits until he's done and cleans up the dishes does the master thank him No. No. He's doing his job. He's doing his job. And if that's all he does, the writer goes on to say, this really hurt my feelings." He's an unprofitable servant. If if he's just doing the minimums. No thank you. You just do it because that's your job. If that grates the snot out of you, you have a flesh problem. You say, how how dare you say that to me? Because that's me that grates against me like nails on a chalkboard and it's just my flesh saying i don't like that because i'm better than that no i'm not no i'm not and the more i live in the realm of jesus as my master and i'm his slave and i exist to serve him in self forgetfulness i'm gonna tell you something be careful cuz this could be a therapeutic prescription but oh my word all the, you know what you know what comes to you in overflowing rivers in your spirit joy Joy. Now are we seeing the connection between humility and joy? So, last thing on that section. Be honest. What verse 21 are you living in? Is that fair to ask? What verse 21 are you living in today? And if you have a trouble being honest, ask your spouse or your child or your grandkid or your best friend, somebody who knows you. What would you say? Here's number three. is Timothy's proven character, verse 22. Timothy's proven character found in verse 22. But you know, talking to the Philippians, you know, Timothy, you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. You know his proven character. That word proven there means tested. Um, it, it was the idea when, when, when a blacksmith would make a sword. Uh, one of my favorite shows on the History Channel is Forged in Fire. Any of you real men out there seeing it? <laughs> oh, That's just a testosterone fuel, which I love. And I met a guy recently, Billy uh, Salyers, who won Forged in Fire. And he is the saltiest Christian you ever met in your life. And he literally takes his craft to other countries in mission trips and uses forging to share the gospel. Phenomenal guy, right? The idea of, this idea of proof or proven is when they take that sword and they stick it in that oil, right? And then, and then they, what do they do? They take that, they take that uh, block of of stone and they run it across there and if it's smooth it's proven in other words it's set but if it's if it's bumpy it hasn't been forged enough it needs more heat and they have to stick it back in what's paul saying about timothy here he's been through the fire and he's come out and that joke smooth he's proved he's a proven commodity so let me give you a quick list of 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 of, of timothy's credentials paul calls him his son in the faith first corinthians four seventeen. He's my boy. <laughs> Timothy was with Paul in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, and now in prison in Rome. It's been Paul's constant partner. By the way, we, it, it, it's posited that Timothy, when he first met Paul and started working with him, was probably 13 or 14 years old. Super young guy. Andy and William's age. Right, make sense of the letter. Don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. He's pretty much a kid, but he's a proven commodity. Uh, what else? Timothy was involved with and mentioned in eight of Paul's letters: First and Second Thessalonians, Second Corinthians, Romans, Colossians, Philippians, and First and Second Timothy. Timothy was also sent to pastor, fix problems, and preach in the churches at Thessalonica, Corinth. And Philippi, this guy was a proven commodity. Now, not only do you have a proven character, he had a paternal relationship. Notice what, how Paul commends him further and makes it personal. He said, let me tell you something. Not only has he been proven in his, work, in, in his travels with me, and, and the assignments I've given him to do, and he's, he's me, younger version. Paul says this in that same verse. Um, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And that's what I put as the title here, slavitude. Timothy had the same slavitude Paul did. And when you have a slavitude, you really see yourself as a servant of our king and, and King Jesus as the master. Guess what? You can serve in second place and it's not a big deal. It don't hurt your feelings. You tracking what I'm saying? Any of you ever had to serve in second place? I don't say this in any kind of derogatory way. I say this in a way to praise the Lord for this fellow slave. And I think of Pastor Jay. Pastor Jay back there has more experience than I do, he's much older. By at least a year or two, much older, much older. Anyway, um, I'm sure he sits back there as I'm preaching, even probably even this morning, said "Oh man, I could do much better job with that text than he's doing, right?" Uh, good. Now he's done this. He's he got the T-shirt, man. He's he, he's done this forever, and yet he faithfully, willingly, joyfully serves. I. He is. He is. He's the Paul and I'm the Timothy, but I get to see that in him, right? I just don't see, where's the pride? It's gone because he's got a slavitude, and we can all learn from that. And then notice that Paul doesn't say he served me in the gospel. What did he say? He served with me in the gospel. There's Paul's slavitude, because Paul's the daddy in the picture. Timothy's the son, and they really felt that way. They had that relationship, but Timothy wasn't there to serve me. He was there to serve with me. Oh, and if I could just put a pin in that for a second. All of you, I think our managers, uh, you who oversee people, you heads of households in this room. What if, what if in our relationships where we have authority that we stop thinking about those under us as serving us but rather serving with us to an end? Would that change some of your relationships? I, I bet it would. That's the relationship they had. And the last thing he says, he served with me what? In the gospel. They were literally partners in the gospel. And jot this down, Philippians 1, 5. That's when he says to the as he's breaking open the introduction to this letter, he says to these people, oh, I love you. I'm paraphrasing. I love, Y'all are my favorite people. And here's why. Because you partnered with me in the gospel from the first day until now you koinoniaed with me in the gospel, the fellowship of the gospel, the business partnership of the gospel. And what did he say about Timothy here? Same word. He was my business partner in the gospel. We did it together. And I feel I can say this and it's less uncomfortable because he's not here today. My, my son Paul comes screaming to the forefront of my mind when I read this commendation of Timothy I cannot help but see my son. Oh, that young man has labored with me in the gospel. He has, he anxiously cares for your state. And I am so blessed to be able to link arms with a man of his character. And you are blessed to have him as one of our church leaders here. And Tom will remember, back in the day, I, 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 we had a meeting of the leaders, and I said, guys, we've got to get another deacon. And, and, you know, a small church, right? There's nobody, there's no man that's ready to do that or qualified. And Jim Williams, in his typical Jim Williams way, got a kind of smirk on his face, and, and he said, there most certainly is. I said, who? Because I, sometimes I miss people. And he said, your son, Paul. I said, Paul can't be a deacon. You know, and he was in his late 20s at that point, very late 20s. And Jim leaned over the table to me and he said, Paul, he's been a deacon since he was 12. He has literally done the work of a church servant, a slave of Jesus, since he was 12. And Jim was not using hyperbole. It's true, it's true. You see this commendation? You can trust this man. Real quick, I'm going to fly through these. Number four, Paul's hesitation in verse 23. Weird little phrase here. But again, this is a travel itinerary. They were probably expecting to see Timothy first and then Epaphras, Epaphroditus. Uh, but we'll see next week. Epaphroditus got sick and Paul said, You've got to go home. Uh, but he sends this letter saying, Expect Timothy soon. I know you expected him first, but he's coming. But notice this weird little hesitation in 23. Therefore, I hope to send him, Timothy, at once. Notice this, though. As soon as I see how it goes with me. Now, we don't know what that means. It could be there was one last section to his trial that he needed Timothy to help prepare stuff for. It could have been a ministry venture in Rome or within. The, who, there was some reason Paul needed Timothy that had to deal with his imprisonment, but he said, "As soon as soon as we get, as soon as I get to that point, and I'm, I'm I, I know where I am, I'm sending him." And I call that his hesitation. And now I want to I want to strike a balance here, between verse twenty three, and verse twenty one, for no one seeks the things of Christ; everyone seeks the things of self. There's the balance. There was Paul seeking his own things by keeping Timothy. No. Here's the balance. There was something that needed to be done that only Timothy could do that would further the work of the gospel. This was a King Jesus mandate. Timothy needed to stay until Paul and King Jesus released him. But see the balance here? It's not like Paul didn't care anything for Paul. Paul saw himself as a tool of the gospel and he needed Timothy for a purpose. And as soon as he was done, I'm going to send him. So there's a balance. It's not like you're a doormat. If anything, you're the staple. You're exalted. Go look at what God did to his son as a result of his massive humility. He's seated in the highest place in the universe and will be there forever. That's what he does with you. But you don't seek it as a thing to be grasped anymore, just like Jesus. So, last one, Paul's hope, verse 24. Again, we see this Paul's submitted slavitude. He says, and you know what? After Timothy gets there, I'm right behind him. But I trust in the Lord, there's that same word, that I myself shall also come shortly. I'm right behind him. In the Lord, my master has the ability and right to veto all these plans, but that's my plan. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul said this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 3 to 4. He said, Hey, Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ. Don't get entangled in affairs of the world. You got a master, you got a mission. Stay focused. And that's what Paul was doing. So here's my question today So what? Let me read you this last quote from my wonderful resource here, the message of Philippians. Mottier says this, they, that's talking about Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, so consecrated themselves to God, listen to this, that self was subdued in the service of other saints. Self was subdued. Is your self subdued in your service to others because you have a master? Then he said this, and I thought this was such a great quote. The Lord, King Jesus himself, is the Christian's model. But these men are model Christians. And we see that in chapter two. Jesus is the model. He's it's spelled out the, the humility slavitude of King Jesus and his exaltation. He's our model, but oh there are believers, and, and would to God that you and I would be counted among them. That would be model Christians, modeled after the king, the master, the owner. I'll be honest with you, I've struggled to know exactly, and I have no notes there. I didn't even write it down, normally do. I've struggled to know how to call you to repentance on a sermon like this. Um, It seems fairly obvious to me. but is it? How much of you is still in there? How much of you are, you, are you a 121 Christian or a 221 Christian? Is there more of you in your thinking than there is of Jesus and others? If there is. We've got to repent of that. And I'm going to ask you to do that today. Get real. Be serious. This is heaven and hell serious. And stop hedging your bets. Saying hedging my bets? Yes. Stop living with a foot in both worlds. Stop being a 221 saint. I said, well, I got my fire insurance and Jesus is good because it makes me feel good, but I'm in charge of all this stuff. Stop hedging the bet. Stop trying to keep yourself from losing because he who loses his life for my sake will gain it. By holding back from our master, you lose everything. And we hold back from our master so that we don't lose everything. Are you hearing me today? Stop holding back. Repent now. Be a hundred percent. Watch what he does. Let's take a time. Seek the Lord. I'll do a brief prayer and then I'm going to pray again. We need to seek the Lord. This, alt, this old altar is open up here. It'd be nice to have that used again. Let's repent. Father God, I, I want to repent first of all by saying that when I opened this section, I thought, good night, there's not even a sermon in here. How wrong was I? How was I to know that? Not only was there a message in there, but it might have been only for me. It was super personal, painful, but at the end it produced a lot of joy. A lot of joy. God, my prayer for me and for the saints in this room is, is, is basically this. Give us... Increase our, we believe, help our unbelief. Every one of us is hedging our bet. A little bit for you, mostly for us, and Lord, as a recipe for misery. We don't have joy, and because we don't have joy, we have no shot at any kind of true humility. And we wonder why our lives are such a disaster. Even right now, would you reveal to us what needs to be repented of? Let go. Would you give us a genuine, authentic repentance today? Only you can do that, and I'm asking for me, and I'm asking for your people. We would take your word to heart and love it and love you and trust you with 100% 100%. And live different. Let God speak to your heart. There's some hands down things that you need to let go of right now. Let's do that. Sovereign Lord. When clouds of darkness, atheism and unbelief come to me, I see your purpose of love. In withdrawing your spirit that I might prize him more and chastening me for my confidence in past successes that my wound of secret godliness might be cured. Help me to humble myself before you by seeing the emptiness of honor as a conceit of men's mind, as standing between me and you. By seeing that your will must be done alone as much as in denying, as in giving spiritual enjoyments. By seeing that my heart is nothing but evil, mind, mouth, life, void of you. By seeing that sin and Satan are allowed power in me, that I might know my sin, be humbled, and gain strength thereby. By seeing that unbelief shuts you out from me. So that I sense not your majesty or power, mercy or your love. Then, then possess me. For you only are good and worthy. You don't play in convincing me of sin. And Satan did not play in tempting me to it. I do not play when I sink in deep mire. For sin is no game, no toy, no bauble. Let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me. By showing me that in myself, I am a dying, condemned wretch, but that in Christ I am reconciled. I'm made alive and satisfied. That I am feeble and unable to do any good, but that in Him I can do all things. That what I have now in Christ is mine in part, but shortly, very shortly, I shall have it perfectly in heaven. Father, may we learn humility before we must learn humiliation. May you awaken a spirit of repentance and may we become chasers of the joy in our king that comes as a result of a good clean repentance. And even as we open these elements in just a moment here, Father, I pray that you would, we would be ever mindful of what they represent. That the only reason we can naturally be anxious for the well-being of somebody else is if we are naturally reborn, supernaturally, through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And that came at a very, very, very high cost. One that our brains don't even have the ability to fathom. May you overwhelm us with your love and with attention to who you are and who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.